Hello, welcome to the Living Open podcast for mystics and seekers. I'm your host, Erin. I'm a Philly-based healing artist, and this is a podcast to support your healing journey. Hello, sweet friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Living Open podcast. I am coming to you off of a long weekend swimming and hiking and playing in Maine and it was just so beautiful (laughs) and I feel so nourished having deleted Instagram off my phone and just been in deep connection with nature and with my love and the other people we were with and it was just lovely. I hope that you all are having some space to be with whatever makes you feel alive, to do whatever makes you feel alive, whatever helps you remember that the world is still beautiful and good in places and times and moments. Um, Because yeah, I think if I'm just on the internet all the time, I can't remember that at all. So Today's episode is a really beautiful one with Yvette Lenond. So Yvette uses they, she pronouns. They're a somatic movement psychotherapist with a deep love of and appreciation for how music, movement, imagination, and relational care can support our personal and collective well-being. Their focus has been on integrating the neurobiology of trauma into relational movement practices with clients one-on-one and in group formats. We talk about Yvette's journey, their spiritual initiations, trying our actual selves on in spaces where we didn't really know anyone and felt more free to do that, how they went from wanting to be a nun to finding a more fluid and open spirituality, craving community with elders and decolonizing mentorship, re-traumatization in spiritual communities, rooting into our power in healthy and helpful ways, the role of somatics in our empowerment and disempowerment, not putting judgments on contraction or expansion, and healing in community with each other, and a lot more. This episode ended up getting a lot more into religious background and spirituality and dogma in all of those spaces than I thought it was going to and I'm really glad it did because that's something that is so much on my mind (laughs) and um, has been for a while and continues to be so I also wanted to share that if you are someone who is working on healing from dogmatic religion and reclaiming yourself, parts of yourself, who you are, identities you hold, Um, after dogmatic religion or through deconstruction, I have a religious trauma workbook that might support. It's a digital workbook, 110 pages full of prompts, meditations, reflections, rituals, and somatic exercises to support you on that healing journey. I'm also planning on reopening Holy, which is a reclamation circle for ex-religious folks at some point maybe in the fall or winter, and there is a Google form, no pressure, no commitment, waitlist that I'll put in the description as well. Both those things will be linked in the description if you'd like to check them out. 
So that's all I have to share with you. I hope this episode on living in a state of emergence supports. So I would love to start how we always start on the show um, by asking you about your journey. So I'd love to hear anything you feel like sharing about your journey with healing, with spirituality, and how it's brought you to this moment and this work that you do. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I have to rewind a few decades to to land somewhere. Um, I, I can't help but think about my my journey, my spiritual journey, without going back to like working in the spa and wellness industry at the age of in my early twenties for about a decade. Um. I was really introduced to a lot of concepts and a lot of ideas, many harmful, (laughs) Uh, and also many helpful. So it's just interesting to look back, uh, and I've actually never done this before, but to look back and see the complexity Mm. of that journey. Um, Yeah. I So working in the spa and wellness industry, I was really afforded the physical, emotional, and the spiritual components of like what healing and exploration looks like. So that was a really, I feel very fortunate that that's happened. And then I also can reflect back that I've always had somebody older and wiser than me Mm. to kind of guide me and support me and help me. And that's become, I think, one of my biggest graces in life is the fortunate relationships I've had with people that have been older and wiser and have, you know, lovingly taken me in and supported me. Um, So it's interesting, like I I was in that industry until my late 20s. um, And then one morning, (laughs) we'll see how much detail I give here, but (laughs) the morning of my, my 30th birthday, I think it was, or my 29th birthday, I got a phone call from an ex that um, really kind of woke me up to the ways in which I had been lying to myself about my life and my happiness and what I wanted to do. I always just did what was expected of me. Um, And so I was on vacation that week. And it was in that week that I decided to quit the 10-year career Mm -hmm. and leave the spa industry. And I was very fortunate, you know, I gave them three months notice, but they said, finish up the day and we'll pay you for a month. I was like, wow. Okay. Um, so the, the benefit to that was I, I took that money and I, I rented out the place I was living in and I decided to travel for the very first time at 30 on my own. Um, And I can like just hear how much privilege I have with being able to do that. But it was really the, that solo journey. It almost was like initiation of like, I to move to this job, the the one that I moved provinces for, I left a six year relationship. I quit it, quit a 10 year job. Um, And then all of a sudden I was alone in another country, you know, never having traveled on my own (laughs) at 30 and being like, wow, I'm much older than all the people here, but I feel so much less aware and capable. And so it was a really interesting experience. And I ended up um, 
working for room and board at an elephant sanctuary in Thailand for a major portion of that. And it was there that I decided that I wanted to actually become a therapist. Mm. Um, So then when I came back, I went to school and it was very quickly aware to, like I became very aware that university was not my path. Mm. I just was really, what's the word that I'm looking for here? jaded is the word that comes up but I don't know if that's actually accurate but this idea that here I am in in university learning psychology but there's no concept of bringing in the body or bringing in spirituality or bringing in the environment or the earth it was all just so heady and I was just like oh I just it didn't feel right for me so then I ended up finding a a program a private college to get a diploma at that allowed me to weave in the body and somatics. And, and I really do believe the body is such a huge part of our spiritual connection to everything. Um, so I was allowed to bring that into my education as a, a therapist. So, and through all of that, the school I went to also really wanted us to do our work. Mm. So it was really experiential and we were expected to do our own therapy not everybody did but I really dove into that and I spent a lot of time really healing and unpacking my my family trauma my historical trauma um so yeah I don't know if I answered your question (laughs) (laughs) you totally did thank you for sharing (laughs) I think I'm finding myself feeling curious about the the travel experience I think because that that resonates from my experience too. Like travel was, I think I have a complicated relationship when I, or it feels complicated now when I think back on it and it felt simple at the time, but now I think I have more like a more nuanced understanding of what I was actually doing. And also like I experienced like not an insignificant amount of trauma while traveling alone. And I feel clear now that I was also like a big part of traveling was like running away from a life that I had that I didn't like, Mm. which had a lot to do with like repressed queerness and just like, it feels complicated. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm wondering like if there's more there around travel and also like you did so much leaving to do that, you know, like leaving a job, leaving a huge relationship, like what that was like to leave those things looking back at it now I'm like it was absolutely necessary Mm. Um, because and again I say that like initiation you know I think so much of what is missing from western culture is those initiation spiritual initiations that we would usually get in community Mm. Um, and having had, I, you know, I, I hadn't come to terms with my, my trauma, my childhood trauma, the abuse I endured, the, the family um, complexities that were there that were never dealt with or recognized or named. Um, mm-hmm. So in many ways, yeah, I was running away too. But I think what I found was that I actually ran to myself. Because I needed to get away from all the noise of where I grew up and how I grew up because it really, I did not fit. I just never fit where I 
I still don't fit in that environment. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting to hear you say repressed queerness because I, I only have been in touch with my own queerness since, I mean, probably my early forties. So maybe forties. So it hasn't been that long. I've definitely come into my gender identity much later in life. And I'm sure that was a part of it. But back then I didn't have language. I didn't have an understanding. I didn't have words. I just knew that that I didn't fit where I was and getting away was helpful. Yeah. Being in like a new space and, and being alone. I found that, yeah, when I, um, I did an internship in college one summer where I lived in New York mm-hmm. and I had one friend with me, but it felt like I was in a totally new place around mostly 99% people who didn't know me. Mm-hmm. And like, I got way more into spirituality that summer. I went vegan that summer. Like I felt something about being alone and being in a totally new space felt so freeing to like yeah. try my actual self on, you know, <laughs> Well, yeah, and this is the interesting thing that I've learned now, having studied trauma and worked with trauma for so long is that, I don't know if this will resonate for you, but often when we grow up in environments where we experience developmental trauma, we don't get that process of experimenting with who we are. Mm. We kind of have to skip Mm -hmm. that and be what we need to be in the family in order to survive. And so then later on in life, many of us go through that process of like, well, who am I? What fits? What doesn't fit? And so we, as adults or young adults, start to explore. And I, for me, and I think what I'm hearing for you too, is like traveling and getting away and being able to try on these new parts of ourselves or explore these new or different aspects really was a, an integral part of figuring out who we were. Yeah, absolutely. That resonates so much. Yeah. I think in my family, it was a lot of like the religious aspect. And I think there's something in my family and maybe just in Christianity as a whole, where we like really need to control who a person is. And like, if you have been this way at one point, like if you were like this, when you were six years old, you're just like that now. And now we're confused about why you're different, why you're changing. It's weird. It's uncomfortable. We don't like it. We need you to be exactly how you were when we yeah. first met you when you were a baby. <laughs> like, it's so weird. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it also makes sense, doesn't it? That like, if, if this organization wants you to stay the same, it's the best way to keep you indoctrinated. And yes, I know I'm saying some strong things here. But <laughs> oh, I believe it. Yeah. I yeah. Agree you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. Cause I just, as you were talking, I had this memory, which I don't know if I share very often, but for a while, part of my trying to make sense of my life was like, I would read the Bible before bed. I wanted to be a nun. I would give myself penance if I thought I had done something or thought something wrong. I would give myself penance. I remember like my nighttime and nobody knew this. My family didn't know this, but my nighttime bed process was to like make amends to, to like try and be so perfect and pure. Um, It's so interesting to look back because I just feel so far from that now that it's like, Oh, that's, I did that. I was in that place. And that's how I was trying to make sense of the world around me and my representation of spirituality at the time. Mm -hmm. 
going to Catholic schools was, was that. So, yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, this is something I love talking about on the podcast because a lot of people who are listening have religious backgrounds and obviously I do as well. And I'm always curious, like how people get from this, from wanting to be a nun, from being really Christian or whatever it is to like a more open and fluid and more true to self spirituality. So I would love if you wanted to share anything about that. (laughs) Um, I'm just checking and see what I feel comfortable sharing. So give me a moment. Yeah. I mean, without, I, I went to probably a bit of an extreme. So I went from that to, um, I left house, my house at 18, I think it was. And I was living in a relationship with an abusive partner. Mm. Um, I experimented a lot with substances. Um, I got into like things that felt to me at the time, the polar opposite of that. And so I feel like, uh, like, you know, almost like a pendulum, I swung from one side way to the other side. And then eventually I found myself in the middle and now neither of those things really resonate for me. And I just find that I'm somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's such a part of the process, at least it has been for me. And I've seen this in other people I've talked to also is like the swing to the complete opposite side. And like, maybe that's true for some people. Totally. That's cool. Um, but I think it's interesting how for me, part of my like healing and unlearning journey was also about realizing where I was still really controlled by religion and religious ideals and like how my family wanted me to be just in the total opposite way, (laughs) but it still wasn't like authentic and true to me because I was still being like controlled by that idea. Just like, rather than submitting, I was completely rebelling against it. And like, for me, my truth in a lot of these spaces has been, like you're saying, somewhere somewhere in between all of yeah. the things. Yeah. yeah, you bring up a really good point. I think that's what I was doing too. It was the reaction, mm-hmm. but it's still being controlled by and, and not finding where I was within it all. Because I actually, I mean, that I think was a big part of traveling was locating myself, mm. right? Like I didn't have that. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know where I stood because I always just took information from external places instead of looking at the internal to the external. Mm -hmm. So I think a big part of, um, and I think it it comes with age too, Mm -hmm. (laughs) just that process of like learning to check in and, and, and look at self and speak from self versus what's expected or demanded. Yeah. I used to think it was so annoying when people said that. And I mean, I'm only 27. It's not, you know, whatever, but I really already feel it in myself. I'm like, it's time. <laughs> Some yeah. of it is just literally time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for context, I'll be 45 this year. So, you know, just, you know, I, I used to be annoyed too when people would say the age thing, but here I am saying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit about mentorships I know that's something that you're thinking about as you're stepping into offering an embodied mentorship offering but I think that there's something there for me around like it's not just age and time it's like age and time with 
the like willingness to look at self and to grow and change and like all those things because mm-hmm. you know there's certain like older people in my family that I love so much but I'm like I don't really want their advice on how to live you know like yeah. don't share values or like it's not just getting older it's like getting older in combination with like those desires I think and those like ways of being so yeah 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 and I when you, when you were talking, I, I, and yes, there's many, um, I heard a distinction between elders and olders the other day. Yes. Oh my God. Like, that's so good. That is so good. There's elders, the, the keepers of wisdom. They, you know, those are the people that you want to have the relationship with. And then there's olders and those are the people that are just getting older. Yeah. Um, and so without holding a judgment on, I, you know, uh, on that, I, something that I can't help but recognize is that community aspect mm-hmm. of relational mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not this like one-on-one, I have authority. I'm, I know more than you. I'm the older, wiser person, but more that like, Hey, I've, I've learned some stuff. I've been gifted some information, some knowledge, some teachings, mm-hmm. and I'm, sharing them with my community or, you know, and so, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but I just think about like the mentorship in the sense of like my own experience of it actually being a community and not just a one-on-one thing, Yeah. but how my most formative. And I, I do have a, like, I do have a clinical professional mentor, I would say. Mm -hmm. But my other mentors are really about community. And I know that behind them, there are a whole group of people. And I know that within us, there's a whole group of people. So there's something really there. And it's not this hierarchical structure. It's more about shared wisdom, shared knowledge, reciprocity. Um, And that is really a decolonial way of looking at mentorship. I was reading a... uh, a document called inspired indespired but i um i can give you the link so that you can put it in the show notes but it's about decolonizing mentorship Mm -hmm. Uh, and in it they speak specifically about like what the framework could hold and be like instead of this power over dynamic it's a power with dynamic and and even the mentee is held as a wisdom keeper and somebody that can share. And so, and, and then that's what I'm trying to bring into the mentorship thing that I'm holding, which is a, an embodied mentorship for practitioners. Um, we're, this is actually week two. We're just entering into a three month immersion and we're only in week two, but so far I'm, it is giving me life. I'm loving it. How beautiful. I'm so happy yeah. for you. <laughs> and I think I really feel that void in my own life of connection with like queer elders specifically like I feel like my community is diverse in so many ways but not in age really um and I have like two little kids in my life so there's like a tiny bit of like young young but like there's I think my oldest friend is like 33 maybe you know like there's like not a diverse like age range and I feel like I'm really like missing that and wanting yeah queer elders and elders in spirituality to to like be in community with yeah 
there's just so much wisdom there that I want and to be in connection with. Yeah. And there's so, so many people that I talk to and, and myself included, particularly the queer elders. Mm-hmm. It's just such a um, gap in, in society and in the structure of our lives right now, it seems. Yeah. Uh, I, a while ago, I had this a few years ago before, I think that, yeah, it was before COVID hit. I had this like fantasy of starting some kind of, organization that took elders of many different cultures and communities and found put them in relationship with people that are seeking that relationship (laughs) I was like I know that there's elders out there who want to impart wisdom who want to have somebody to connect with um and I know that there's younger people out there that want that so like I was like we got to I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have the space right now to do anything, but if somebody does, I think it would be such a great program and offering. Yeah. yeah. And if you or someone listening does that, like, let me know. I want to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that actually comes from when I was in school, we had to go to a neighborhood. We had to go to um, an older person's mm. house on a regular basis as part of what we did in school and I kept it up long after the school mm. component was filled. Um, I just kept going over weekly to sit and help out. And, and I think my deep, deep respect and admiration for elders and even olders mm. comes from, from that time. And, and, you know, I think it helped a lot also with not being afraid of getting older. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. And how beautiful too, to like be intentional about these things, not being hierarchical. Um, I think like, this is something else I wanted to ask you about, because I've seen you do writing about this on your website about like re-traumatization in spiritual communities. And I think the hierarchical part feels related to that to me. And like, I've had spiritual teachers that now I'm looking back and I'm like, holy shit, that was really bad. And like, they have taken up resonance in my body in like a very negative way. And part of that was some of that model of like, I am big, important person, you small receiver of information, unimportant person, like that kind of dynamic. Yeah. That feels really bad. So yeah, I'm wondering if there's any, I know it's a huge topic, but I'm wondering if there's anything you want to share around that, like re-traumatization and spiritual communities and yeah, just some of those harmful things that we can experience. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm framing it in, in, in context of where I'm at now, which is somebody who's holding a mentorship program. And I, I've been very clear and I, I'm hoping to stay clear that I'm not wanting to position myself as the person that knows everything um, because everybody that's partaking in it has their own really unique set of brilliance that they bring to and can share. Um, and I've, so I think like to speak about the re-traumatization, I'm, I'm actually leaning more towards like, how do we, how do we engage in communities where that doesn't get replicated? And I think it's so hard because it's so internalized. And I feel like it's something that you have to constantly watch in yourself. And, you know, am I putting myself in the position of authority? And yeah, I did air quotes there. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
or am I putting myself in the position of not having authority Hmm. and that dynamic of like, well, I don't know, I don't have the agency. So I'm going to look to this person that is going to like, tell me what I need to know about myself. And I think, so I think it's really, if, I'm at a point now where if I'm engaging in any kind of community and the person is telling me about myself mm. and not from a curiosity way, like, Hey, I noticed this and I'm curious about this thing that I noticed in you versus like you, 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 you're doing this, you should be doing this. Like that kind of, I know I'm the spiritual guru leader, whatever, it's a big red flag. And I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm out. Um, and actually there's a book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called cultish, the language of fanaticism. I literally just finished reading. I dropped it off at the library yesterday. Okay. <laughs> I feel like the first part of that book is a how not to mm-hmm. create harm in communities. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I listened to that book in preparation for, the mentorship program, because I was like, I do not want to replicate this. And I'm, I'm asking the people in the program to hold me accountable, to speak up if they feel like that's happening, mm-hmm. um, which is a whole tricky thing because I have to create an environment where they feel they can do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's just, it gets really complex. Yeah. And I think I appreciate, I mean, okay. First of all, reading that book, I was like, thank you, someone. Amanda, I think is the author. Amanda, yeah. Thank you, Amanda, for putting to words something that I have felt in spiritual spaces, which is like, it's not a cult, but it is cultish. It's culty. It's somewhere in there, like on this spectrum that she talks about. And so that felt like really validating and helpful to read. Um, And I also appreciate how you're talking about this, like, we all have power and like a responsibility to root into it and not to like exert it over other people, but to be able to like what you shared to be like, okay, I, I actually don't need you to tell me about myself and about who I am and what I care about. Um, And I think that's something that just feels so much more true to me and like, not just in spiritual community or any kind of community, but even in like one-on-one relationships is like, being able to take responsibility as myself for like, maybe I've created this environment where like, you feel like you can, can't do this thing to me, or you can't like share this thing with me. And then I've also been in the role of like, I'm not speaking up because I feel whatever type of way it's like, it's all the nuance is like there. (laughs) And then of course there are situations of like abuse where like you literally aren't safe. And like, that is a whole different thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it feels important and good to talk about like the nuances of those things. Yeah, yeah. And what what came up for me when you were talking was this idea of like, I guess a a question that is coming is, do I feel empowered in this community? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do I trust that they will name harm and respond to it? Um, Or does the harm just get one turned around on me or the other person? No, this is you're creating this. You're like, I think we've all been in environments where that happens versus like collectively holding it. And, and um, yeah, so I, I'm just sitting with that, like, 
question of do I feel empowered in this community? Yeah. Or do I feel disempowered? What a beautiful question to ask. Yeah. I love that. I'm like thinking about communities that I've been part of where I would definitely answer no. (laughs) And some communities that I'm in now where that feels like a full yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think there's something really beautiful about having a simple like moment to tune in and check in. Yeah. And then the nuance there, I guess, is if you feel disempowered, do you feel empowered enough to speak to it? And if, if the community doesn't provide that space, then, and that's problematic as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you say tune in, like that makes me want to ask you more about the body and the role yeah. of the body and somatics in, in all of this. Hmm. Yeah. Just give me a second to sit with that. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, it's not what I think. I feel like when I am able to be embodied and check in with my inner sense, which I've spent a lot of time learning to discern, I, I am more capable of answering that question in relationships, in community, in, you know, in whatever is, you know, because I, for me, I can't think about, do I feel empowered or disempowered? It's actually how I'm feeling in my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's like so much complexity here. And I know that like with trauma, it's really hard too for many people connect to their body in an empowered sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and listening to what the feedback is. Yeah, I'm just like, my brain's going off in about a hundred different directions about like the nuance to this, this particular topic. So I guess it's like, on a very fundamental level, when I feel resonance, when I feel security, when I feel empowered, how do I feel my body? Mm-hmm. How does my heart beat? How does my muscles either contract or relax? Um, how does my breath move? Like just very basic things that we can kind of attend to and pay attention to. And then you can start to notice, well, in this moment, like I'll just talking to you, I actually feel quite connected to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm able to pay attention to my body. I know that, I know that my breath is a bit there's nervousness. My breath is a bit less full than it would be, but overall I feel very centered and connected to myself and aware of my body, but I'm also very present and aware of you. So to me, that's empowered. When I feel disempowered, I feel like I have to leave myself Mm. and then attend to other people. And that might be particular to my specific adaptations to trauma in the past where I did abandon self to attend to everybody else. Um, yeah. Did I just go off on a tangent? <laughs> no, no, not at all. That's making me think that I think for me, a feeling of disempowerment or one way that shows up in my body is this feeling of being so small. Like there's a part of me that normally takes up more space in my body that then like shrinks and retreats in like into itself. Yeah. 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 So contraction and expansion. Yeah. 
do I feel expanded or do I feel contracted? And, and sometimes it's okay. Like sometimes there are, I'm going to personally, I'm going to intentionally contract Mm -hmm. because that's what I need to do to be able to engage, to be in relationship. And so like, not to like one is good and one is bad, but really just there's nuance there where sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not helpful. Yeah. I really appreciate the not putting value judgments on contraction or expansion. I feel like that's something that can really happen in spiritual space, which is like this capitalism of constant expansion is the goal or you should always feel that way. And it's like, that's not life. (laughs) No, gosh, no, no. Sometimes, oh, sometimes it's so good to like feel that contraction and, and give yourself the permission to like, not be, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, for me, always returning to nature as a guide and like nature expands and contracts, nature blooms and dies. Like that is literally what happens. And it's just part of the flow of, of life. And Yeah. 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 And like, it's so cliche, but I could talk for hours. I feel like about how we can appreciate so deeply the like magnolia blooms and the cherry blossom blooms and the summer flowers because they're not there all the time, you know, like yeah. there's, there's contrast to it. There's something to like, there's a cycle that happens or it's not always present. Yeah, absolutely. And it's through the, the death of the flower that the soil gets fed that it can bloom again. And, you know, I'm thinking of a plant that I have that wasn't, I'm a rescuer of plants, <laughs> plants that aren't doing well from other people. And this plant wasn't potted properly and its roots were going outside of the little plastic pot that it had come in. And when I got home and I planted it, replanted it in lots of soil, it grew so quickly that it's actually like not able to hold mm-hmm. itself up. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know if it felt like it was in contraction for so long that it just had to expand. Um, so now it's like, I'm watching it go through this contraction and expansion where it's like having to not grow at such a speed because there's been more steady nutrients mm-hmm. and watering and all that, that it's like, it's learning to restabilize itself. So. Mm. Yeah. How sweet. A rescuer of plants. I love that. <laughs> and that also just makes me think like, sometimes you just need a new environment to grow in like your travel, like we were talking about at the beginning yeah. of our conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think something else that is coming up around this whole conversation around relationships and community is um, this idea that gets passed around that like you need to be healed in order to be in relationship. Mm. Um, And I have seen you write things that indicate that you do not agree. And I also do not agree. And I feel really passionate about the topic that so much healing can happen interrelationally and with each other and also can happen alone. But I think like for me, I've experienced the deepest, most powerful healing has been in relationship. And yeah, I'm just wondering if there's anything you want to, you want to share about how we heal, heal with each other and that, that idea that we should heal alone only. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm just astounded that there's this idea that we have to compartmentalize while well, healing alone and, or healing in relationship. And really it's like mm-hmm. all we have to have it all. There is this component of being able to self-soothe 
and you know be response able for ourselves that didn't yeah you know what I mean <laughs> mm-hmm. um but then we also like we also need relationships because we are relational beings um and I just I just find it really shocking that there's even this idea that one there's one better than the other or one more mm-hmm. that one has to happen before the other and that they just can't work in unison and in like reciprocity and there has to be an ebb and flow between the two and it's again back to that contraction expansion thing maybe like expanding the community around us the people the relational learnings and then contracting and it becomes more about a personal relationship with self um yeah i mean so much of our healing Particularly, I mean, I, I I work with a lot of developmental trauma, which is relational trauma. Um, and so it's actually in learning and experiencing something different than what we experienced in the past that we really get to embody the experience of healing and of being in relationships that aren't harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why bell hooks... It, in um talks i can't remember the guy's name that said this quote but she references it and it's about love being the action of um i'm gonna paraphrase it majorly um but love being the action of supporting our our own and another spiritual growth yes and and i think that that sums up the relational healing component, the the necessity for being in relationship with others, because that is love in action when we are supporting Mm -hmm. and helping others in their own spiritual growth. And of course our own, but yeah. Yeah. I think when you're talking about like the astounding separation between the two things, it makes me think about how, like we even need a word for somatics, right? Because like in white Western culture, we have separated like mind and body and we've like compartmentalized things. And I feel like that maybe there's something there about like the healing alone, healing together is in like also the same culture and capitalism where we are so isolated and things are always like put into little boxes and they're supposed to exist in those little boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feels really tight to the individual. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> always. It's always about you, just you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for speaking to that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you the last question that I always ask on this show. Um, But before I do, I kind of also just want to ask, is there anything you feel like you need to express to make our conversation feel complete for you? Hmm, That's a good question. I think what I'm, I'm reflecting on is like, I feel like we've talked about many different topics and yet I'm able to see how they all connect and weave together. I might be able not be able to articulate it in this moment, but I'm just kind of, I think holding an appreciation for the complexity of like all the different topics and nuance that was kind of spoken to. And then, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way too. <laughs> so the last question I want to ask you is what does living open mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? Living open? Yeah. I think for me, living open is living in a state of emergence. Mm. So continually attending to what is true and emerging for me, for my community, for my for the society, for culture, for the world, and practicing the sorry if you can hear my dog. <laughs> I cannot. <laughs> I was just like, oh boy. Um, practicing being in relationship with what is, mm. if that makes sense. If I'm making sense. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. when you said being in a state of emergence, I was just like, ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I would add, I think to like put a nice little sentence, it'd be to being in a state of emergence with what is. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell people where they can find you, follow you, all those things? Yeah, so uh, Instagram uh, is obviously a place. <laughs> um, and my handle is innerflow underscore wellness. Um, I'm fully booked for one-on-one -on -one work with clients, but I've been getting more into groups. So I run a, a yearly group called Community Sessions, which is for 12 people where we do movement, we come together and we support one another. So again, I'm not it's not group therapy and I'm not being the therapist. I'm in it with them, but I'm also holding the container. So everybody's encouraged to support one another and just create a community in that way. Um, so it's a bit of talking, a bit of movement and a bit of mindfulness. And we meet, we meet, yeah, meet together monthly. Um, and then of course I'm, I have the uh, attend embodied mentorship for practitioners which is a three-month immersion um, where it's really about connecting to the what's emerging in, mm -hmm. in the person uh, and supporting them in becoming more embodied so they can more actively engage with their communities, their world, the work they want to offer. Um, and so it's three months, but then we will, I will always have a monthly gathering of all past participants where we get to come together and practice embodiment, mm -hmm. you know, and I won't be the only person leading past participants can come in and offer something and, and get feedback. Um, and so I'm hoping to actually offer this twice a year. So a spring and a fall cohort, uh, it's a small group it's six people so that it stays really contained and, and, and intimate. Um, and then I have a monthly offering, which I'm in the process of renaming, <laughs> but it's a, it's That's an fun. hour long dance practice. Mm -hmm. So, and it's all really just about like being with what is really just the practice of being in your body, moving in a way that feels good for you and being with what is to great music. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing. <laughs> yeah. And my website is innerflowcounseling.com. Perfect. Yeah.
Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this episode, please do tap five stars and leave us a nice review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I appreciate it so, so much. And it's a really lovely way to be in exchange with the show, with an indie podcast. You can check out all the links mentioned in this episode in the description, and I'll be back on Monday with another episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it and stay in touch on Instagram at E-R-Y-N-J underscore or Patreon until then.